Hi everyone, welcome to the Power Podcast number one. Uh, this is going to be a little series of podcasts that we're doing to highlight a lot of the work done by women in conservation, photography, and research related to animals. Uh, we're going to be talking to a lot of different people, but uh, this is just the first one. So I am your one of your co-hosts, Tristan Crowell Bunneman. I'm the co-president of Larry Animal Rescue. I'm the other co-president as well as co-host for this specific podcast, Marissa Wilay Hong. And featuring in our episode today, we have Christine Figener, who is a passionate um, ocean advocate as well as an amazing marine biologist. And we hope you enjoy this podcast as much as we enjoyed recording it. Thank you for tuning in. You know. Uh, <laughs> well, here we are. Yeah. We yeah. Um, okay, so I, I guess we'll start by just introducing ourselves just to kind of get that out of the way. Um, Mercy, you want to go first? Sure. Okay, so my name's Marissa. I've been the one who is contacting you back and forth, and I'm the founder, one of the co-presidents for our Laurier Animal Rescue Club. Oh, uh, and then I'm Tristan. I'm the co-president for uh, Laurier Animal Rescue Club. We're just kind of both working on it together, but uh, yeah. Also, before okay. we start, are you okay with us recording this interview and as well as perhaps like posting it as a podcast for for club? Sure, yeah. I mean, I cannot predict sometimes what happens and who's going to walk away in the background, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, okay. we, we're probably going to no take... Problem. We might just take the audio track, um, so you wouldn't have to worry about, like, any video stuff like that. Okay. Um, but, yeah. Um, okay, perfect. Yeah. Um, so... Okay, I'll go. Okay, um, could we have you introduce yourself and just kind of, like, what you do for a living and just, like, your day in a life, I guess? Okay. Yeah. So my name is Christine Figener and I'm a marine conservation biologist. I live and work in Costa Rica and work mainly on sea turtle research and conservation. Mm -hmm. And I'm well, because of, you know, what I'm trying to accomplish, uh, which is provide a better chance of survival for my sea turtles. I've also become pretty avid advocate in, you know, the issue around plastic pollution of our oceans, just because sea turtles I like uh, absolute um, yeah, um, indicator species of all the things that are going wrong with our oceans and plastics is definitely a huge issue for them. And, um, you know, I'm not um, dedicating all my time on the beach, you know, a lot of sleepless nights just so we can then later on kill them with our luxury trash. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's what I am, what I do. Yeah, great. Uh, so you you also said sorry. Did you say you wanted to have like a day in my life? I was something? just like just a general overview, but um, yeah, it's 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 really up to you. Whatever you feel would be yeah. a, a good introduction yourself. No. Good introduction myself. Well, I mean, I live in a very very rural town, rural area in Costa Rica. So we literally have no public bus. We do not have a supermarket. We don't even have a convenience store. Um, it's kind of a dirt road that leads all the way to the ocean and we have you know pretty much my backyard for two minutes walk we have this massive sea turtle nesting beach oh. which is um, used by three species mainly two species the leatherback which is the largest of all sea turtle species and the hawksbill turtle which is one of the two species that are actually critically endangered uh, and yeah what i do is during the nesting season that runs from right now march till end of october we are patrolling with a team of locals and international students 
the nesting beaches to collect scientific data, but also to pretty much protect the nesting females in their eggs. Mm -hmm. And then um, I'm also having little research projects on the side. So I'm, for example, interested in habitat use in sea turtles. So I use satellite transmitters to track some of the turtles. I use stable isotope analyses to study the diet of sea turtles. And I'm also really um, keen on educating the next generation here because, you know, we have still issues with people um, consumptively using sea turtle eggs and also the females. And what it really takes is a change in mindset and culture. And that's the easiest accomplish when you, you know, speak to the kids and get them involved and excited about sea turtles and just show them that there's a different way of, you know, consuming them. Um, I think that's pretty much summing up probably what I'm doing here. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's awesome. great. I've actually, I've always, I've always been really interested in like the uh, aquatic life personally. I'm my favorite. I, I, I really like whales uh, personally, but uh, yeah. So your, your research really like uh, was, was really cool to, to see and just like how, how involved you are. Like, obviously how you said, like you're living in a, in a rural area and stuff like that. Like most people wouldn't take like, you know, the, the luxuries of normal life for like the research, but it's just, it's really inspiring that you're, you know, you're out there constantly like working with them and uh especially for like the critically endangered species it's it's really amazing um but yeah we uh so we had a question thank you uh, well, i oh, mean yeah. as, a, as, a fun fact, as a fun fact i did start marine biology because i am a huge fan of humpback whales oh but, I, um, I have worked in the meantime with humpback whales and it's actually not as interesting as working with sea turtles the actual work because mm. you know a sea turtle work is really hands-on it's really physical. You walk a lot. You get to be with the turtle and you know, kind of really touch them and, and handle them. Whereas when you study whales, you're usually on a boat. Yeah. Maybe see them, you know, a little bit on the surface of the water. Maybe have a hydrophone in the water, but that's about it. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, they've they've just they're always <laughs> such interesting animals. Um. But yeah. Um. So we just had a quick question uh, in relation to, we were doing some background research on you and your career, uh, and we found that you uh, focused on one point in your career on the Olive Ridley turtles, I believe. Um, at least that was those in the research. Mm -hmm. uh, we just want to know like what, what, what kind of like uh, shone out to you, or if that, if that is your favorite uh, like species of turtle, or like what, what is uh, your favorite, and like what it would kind of, anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I, my, my, my PhD advice is probably going to kill me if she ever hears that podcast. <laughs> but yeah, Olive Ridley, I don't know what my favorite species. Mm. I don't know. Olive Ridley is unnice, but nice, you know, a very fake word of, I don't know. Yeah. Um, no, my favorite ones are definitely leatherback turtles. I mean, mm. they're just absolutely incredible. And I started my career as a sea turtle biologist with leatherbacks and work with them for eight years, pretty much two seasons per year, because Costa Rica has two coasts, the mm -hmm. Caribbean coast and the Pacific coast. The leatherbacks just happen to nest asynchronically. So, you know, when I have the Caribbean season, the, there's off season on the Pacific. And once that season ends, I can just move on to the other coast and then have that season there. So I kind of move back between the coasts. And then when I started my PhD, my PhD advisor pretty much wrote the Bible on Olive Ridley's or the <laughs> Ridley species. And she loves Ridley's. Mm. They're like these tiny, cute little turtles. And uh, they're really like Olive Ridley's are pretty abundant. And for that, they're so abundant. 
we don't really know that much about them, which is really curious because a lot of the, you know, kind of basic boxes haven't even been checked because everybody gets so distracted by one thing and one thing only about Olive Ridley's and that is their synchronized mm -hmm. mass nesting behavior. So there's only these two, the two Ridley species, the Kemp's Ridley and the Olive Ridley that do engage in that behavior. And you have to envision a beach where you will have once a month about half a million turtles coming up to nest at the same time more or less. I mean, within like three to five days, depending. And it's just super impressive. You know, yeah. it's just like, you yeah. know, the beach is crawling with turtles. The sheer, it's the sheer mass. But um, yeah, it's still, it's nice. But I don't think they're, no, they're not, definitely not my favorite species. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But... yeah okay so um we were looking as we said before researching into just like your life and everything and i know a lot of our listeners now are like de like definitely going to be undergrad students in our university and so some people are kind of interested in perhaps like pursuing uh like a field in like marine biology for example so would you be able to describe kind of the process in getting to where you are now so like your schooling or like research and kind of extra experiences that kind of help to get to where you are now? Yeah, I think like one thing or one point I would probably like really emphasize at the very beginning is like try to get as much hands-on experience outside of university as you can. And even at a really young age and really early stage in your career, so don't wait till you already got like three university degrees in because then it's pretty much already too late, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so to speak, uh, because you'll be drowning in student debt and you don't have time to do those extra things anymore. Yeah. Yeah. At least that's true for the you know North of America, unfortunately, I, yeah. I had to say it. Yeah. Um, so I think I was in the lucky position that I did study in Germany and we do not have um, to pay for our universities and at least not the amount mm -hmm. that you guys are paying. Um, I did start, though, to intern in an aquarium um, with marine mammals when I was about 13 or 14 and pretty much stayed there as an intern up until I started university when I was 19. So in Germany, we have 13 school years, so we're almost 20 when we are done um, with high school. And so I just studied, you know, normal biology, so nothing particular. In Germany, it was back then anyways that the specialization didn't Kind of come up until you started your master's so everyone that is studying biology either if you want to become a microbiologist or a geneticist or an ecologist it doesn't matter everyone studies exactly the same base um so i did that and then i got really lucky i think because i was able to go on to a field trip that was actually meant for grad students for master but the professor that offered that trip it was a tropical marine ecology class in Egypt um, for, for a while that was, he was new and he started advertising and super late. Um, and so he didn't find enough people and he just kind of opened it up for some of the undergrads. And I was lucky and just kind of went with him. It was amazing because, you know, after I, I didn't particularly enjoy my undergrads because there's a lot of stuff that we had to do. I, f I felt I was doing more chemistry and math and, and physics than I did actually biology. And then mm -hmm. even within the biology, we had to do all the things I'm not interested in, like botany and plant physiology and 
microbiology and developmental biology is like I have no affinity to at all, still don't. Um, and I was very much in doubt if that is really the career that I'm interested in. And so the field trip really changed that for me completely because that was everything I ever envisioned, you know, to kind of marine biology to be like, because I, ever since I was in kindergarten, I wanted to become, you know, an ocean explorer. Um, and so it helped really kind of to think about, okay, research and marine research can actually be exactly all those things. And so I proceeded to my master's and, um, and I didn't even do a master's in marine biology, but I was, I thought, because again, marine biology is, you know, it's a very wide field and actually a lot of the marine stuff is, you know, very specific to algae, all the micro uh, level stuff in, and oceanography, which is a lot of physics. And what I was really interested in because my love to humpback whales was, um, I really wanted to study behavior. Yeah. And so I was looking for masters in behavioral ecology, pretty much, or behavioral physiology. And um, so I did my master in that. And uh, yeah, after that, it was kind of, you know, to, to, you know, I really wanted to figure out what can I do in my life. And I think, again, it was just a little bit of an accident. During my master, I already went for the first time to Costa Rica and worked as a research assistant for several months in, in actually the same project that I'm right now in, like leading and, and managing. Um, and I came back and did my master thesis research here as well. And then my boss pretty much just hired me because he liked my work ethics. And I remember I just went back to analyze the samples and with all the raw data, I didn't even, I hadn't even written the, the thesis. I pretty much moved to Costa Rica full time and started working here. Um, yeah, and I did that, like I said, for eight years. And then some stuff happened because I really didn't feel like I really wanted to go for my PhD because it also puts you in a very limited niche. I think mm -hmm. for all the people that consider getting a PhD, think about it long and hard. Rather go for a master's first, for sure, um, because it will only help you. Even if you do a PhD afterwards, um, it's less time that you have to study and you definitely are already a lot better prepared to, you know, do your own research than if you would just come in from your undergrad and then go straight for a PhD. And also you have to realize, you know, a lot of people that do their PhD, you know, there is not, at least you don't get trained in a lot of different um, things. You're getting trained to be in academia. So that means the university will prep you to become a professor and that might not be what you want to do and what you know with your life that's at least not what i wanted to do so i was really hesitant to go for my phd but at some point i decided okay i want to be autonomous as a scientist i don't want to have to depend on other people for example i was teaching or i am teaching a conservation biology class in costa rica but i always had to have professors or people with a phd sign for my Last work because you know yeah. officially without a PhD I'm not really allowed to teach at least in Europe, so I was you know getting tired of that and I was thinking okay I just want to be my own boss in every sense um, and uh, that way I kind of went back to school an advanced age probably compared to a lot of the kids that were you know starting their PhD with like twenty I don't know twenty two probably twenty three. Um, and yeah, I look for my advisor. That's also really important. Like, don't you shouldn't care about the school so much. 
I mean, it would be great. I mean, you should care about what your advisor is like because that person will be with you for the next, you know, four to six, eight, whatever years, how long it takes you. And also, um, if there's funding for you, because that is taking definitely a lot of stress out of you, mm -hmm. uh, from you. Yeah. And that's kind of how I ended up at Texas A&M with my amazing advisor, Dr. Pam Plotkin. And I think my advantage was that I knew very well what I wanted to do and why I went for my PhD. And so I just came, got my title and left. And I'm back in Costa Rica. Okay. Okay. Um, a long-winded explanation. I don't know if that helps. Oh no, it does. Oh, no, it definitely yeah. helps. Yeah, because we we have a also lot of. Hmm? No, oh, continue. No. Oh, okay, I was just going to say we have, we have a lot of listeners that are are like people in our club that are are very like inspired and looking, um, you know, to pursue a career like working as an animal conservationist or even like veterinarian work, or just general like biology. Like I know myself, I'm in uh, a field like my my major is in biology, and I'm hoping to go somewhere in the realms of that but like as you said like it's a very kind of varied subject there's a lot of different ways you can go about it so it just i think it, i think it uh helps people a lot especially at a younger age when you know it's kind of hard to choose your entire career at like the young age of like 20 something because our brains haven't fully you know gotten there uh so it really helps to get like a, a perspective of you know well, you should definitely not go for a PhD at that age. Yeah. You know, that's the point. Yeah. You're too young, I think, to really know what you're going to do with the rest of your life. Oh, yeah. Find yourself. Like, your 20s are meant to find yourself and figure out what you want to do with your life. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, what I, what definitely to the, to the other part, again, you know, to really go and get hands-on experience. I mean, it's not only about stuff that you don't learn at university, which is a lot of times the practical applied stuff, but it is also about starting to pretty much establish a network right because every time you're out there you're working for somebody that somebody has its own set of networks and you are pretty much living or like leaving an impression right you you pretty much the way you work that person will be your reference and this person will be able to put you in contact with other people and of course if i have a friend that is recommending somebody you know a worker of course i'm way more willing to to kind of take on that person than some wildcard that just written me, you know, an application, which that person might be great. But I mean, it's definitely a secure shot for me to go with somebody that comes already recommended and somebody knows already how they work, right? Mm -hmm. um, and because especially conservation is such a hard field to break into because there is so little money going around. And I can always tell there's so much discussion about the unfairness of, you know, in order to get ex uh, experience to actually pay for, for volunteering. And I feel your pain, but I'm also in the position, I'm leading a grassroots, like really small local organization. And I mean, we're struggling with funding, you know, and, and, and our funding situation is such that I would always prioritize the guys from the community here, because first of all, they have way more practical experience that serve me a lot better in the field than any university graduate. I don't care if you have a bachelor's degree or not. So don't don't overestimate your value sometimes. That's I think probably one lesson. And second, because I'm 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 killing two birds with one stone, right? So I'm trying to keep the community from poaching eggs, for example. And with having people work for the community, I'm actually creating income for people here, right? So that means it is something positive that is is it's it's coming with a project and people working for the project instead of you know 
going by themselves and, and poaching, for example. So, um, yeah, so there's not much money left to really support young foreign conservationists from other country. And I mean, my research assistants at this point have to pay for at least their own room and board. So we have a special rate, but it's still, you know, in theory, it's still they have to pay. Hmm. But I think there is like, you know, there is projects such as mine where you literally just kind of pay for your own way or there's projects that really try to make money with you, if that makes sense, because there's those as well that charge you horrendous fees. And some of them are great still because you learn a lot because they really try to cater to your education. But I think you should be very carefully choosing those experiences. And I mean, there are experiences where you literally do not pay at all, where at least your room and board is paid. You may pay your travel. And I think everyone should get experience such as. So I think that's the A and O, honestly. That's the most important thing to really kind of gauge if, if that's even for you, because I think a lot of people come into my projects and they love the idea of saving sea turtles. And once they're here and they notice, oh shit, that is like involving being sleep deprived consistently, um, having to walk 20 kilometers every night on soft sand, getting blisters, uh, everything aches, uh, being rained on every night, nothing is dry, your clothes are molding, you are getting eaten by mosquitoes and sandflies. You know, after a while, it doesn't seem that great anymore. <laughs> and unless you're really, really, really passionate about the work, I think a lot of people kind of, you know, leave the project after three months and say, yeah, that was a great experience I do not ever need to have again. And then they kind of, you know, look for something else to do. But I think this is exactly why you should do something like that. Because imagine, like, I don't know, you're doing your PhD and you kind of, you know, preparing everything in your career to become a sea turtle conservationist. And then for the first time you go out into the field and you're like, dude, I hate my guts right now. Like, what am I doing here? Um, that is probably not the best way of, of finding out. So you should, you know, kind of have those experiences early on in order to adjust. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, Mercy, you want to ask the next question? Okay. <laughs> um, so I, I actually remember this, seeing this when I was younger too on YouTube, how you posted a video that went super viral, almost 41 million views now, or a little past that. And it's um, on the plastic straw removal from the turtle's nose when with you and your research team. And we were wondering how did you feel in the moment when you're recording that video and did it affect you in any way at the time? And how did it kind of change the perspective of, I guess, plastic pollution in animals now? <laughs> Yeah, that that is. We need to unpack that question a little bit, right? No <laughs> Many questions in one. Okay, so first of all, <laughs> so uh, first of all, yeah, I mean, I this this happened um, five years ago while I was conducting research for my PhD, and I have to say, it's of course, it's like plastic was not some new story to us uh, that we're on the boat, or even to me. I mean. Plastic has been a sad byline ever since I've studied sea turtles uh, 15 years ago and still is. And um, it was just in the moment that I have, I mean, I've seen all kinds of weird stuff. Uh, we have found turtles, you know, of course, the general thing had ingested plastic. 
um, they were entangled in, in pieces of plastic. And we even found one turtle that was like stuck in a car tire. So we have we have seen funny stuff already, but not funny as in haha, but kind of weird stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But that particular one was just so, so upset. Well, it was weird because, I mean, we thought it had a barnacle and then we find a plastic straw, you know, an item that every single one of us has probably used at one point in their lives. And we just had talked about it. I mean, it was it was really interesting. We just had talked about it the night before about plastic straws and how useless plastic straws are because it's really, you can drink out of a glass without one, right? But it comes in every yeah. single drink that you yeah. order in most places. So, um, and usually I never, even before that, we I never took or take straws, but we got distracted because um, I, I met my colleague that was on the boat with me that day as well. Um, I hadn't seen him in a really long time and we kind of met up in this restaurant. And so we were chatting away, you know, long time to see. And so we didn't really notice when the waiter or waitress came that she had put straws in it. And we, you know, we saw it, I was like, ah, dang it, we forgot to ask without straw. And then we kind of started this discussion. And then the next day we find this turtle that had a plastic straw stuck in its nose. And I think we were all pretty shocked. Um, At this point, I think we have a pretty good idea how it got stuck in its nose, but at that point we didn't. So we were like, who the fuck would shove like a turtle plastic straw in its nose but it was a male so we were like did it really was it really actively done um but what probably happened is uh, if you ever see a sea turtle feeding so since they feed underwater they usually swallow the prey item with a bunch of water and then they expel the excess water through the nostrils so they have a similar uh, connection between mouth cavity and the nares um, as we have as well as humans and um, so the plastic straw was probably just too light to be washed out all the way and just got stuck right there and then. And yeah, the effect of it, of course, it was probably like two weeks of craziness. Uh, me being stuck in the jungle with bad internet and a bunch of news stations trying to reach us and give a comment. And it, afterwards, it came in waves, um, you know, where. First, it was like all the big media, then the NGOs kind of followed suit, and then governmental bodies all of a sudden started talking about plastic. The UN started talking about plastic, then Blue Planet, the new part was released, and it talked about plastic. So it, it was definitely you know, an increase in awareness. And it's really funny because um, like the people that are discussing you know, key moments in the anti-plastic movement or uh, seminal you know moments they definitely put that video at one of like a major kind of increase of awareness in you know after it was filmed so i have issues sometimes just gauging if that's true or not just because it's so sometimes it's still so abstract if you think about it you just kind of dump something on youtube and then it goes around the world and you know when it has on its channel itself like 40 000, uh, 40 million views i haven't even checked and um there's another version that's on it i think has like 60 million views like a shorter version so and it was on facebook with like 30 million within a few days so you know it's uh, millions of people have seen it but i mean i haven't seen people watch it other than i've seen the numbers go up so it's it's very it's very abstract still sometimes but what I have to say is because of, of that video, I have been gifted this incredible platform, um, you know, where I can talk about 
plastic and sea turtles and ocean conservation, which is dear to my heart. And I'm really happy that I, you know, people now all of a sudden listen to what I have to say. Not that I didn't have those opinions before, but now people are suddenly interested of actually hearing my opinion. Um, and uh, it has also made it easier for me to really realize some of the, or um, yeah, to execute some of the projects that I'm doing. So for example, that I'm able to work here in Costa Rica on my own projects. It is also due you know, to the notoriety of, of my persona and the video probably uh, that has resulted in, in that it's just people believing in me, believing in my work and supporting my work as well. So it's definitely changed a little bit my my trajectory for maybe or at least has helped it along mm -hmm. yeah great um yeah uh, so going off of that um we just had a question so in 2018 you were named as the next generation leader by time magazine for uh your work in like the outreach and things like that uh we just want to know like how did you feel about like receiving that since it's such a prestigious achievement <laughs> Yeah, it, that was that was also kind of an interesting incident. So um, I was still in my PhD and super busy and super stressed because it kind of came to an end. And you know, I was super wrapped up. And one of my two professors didn't even like he hated all my what he called it extra curriculum work because he wanted me to concentrate on my dissertation and not you know drift away from from that. And then uh, I think it was in June or July, uh, Time Magazine did a little. Article. So before that, I actually, as a person, I never really stepped into the spotlight. So because if you saw, if 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 you actually seen the video, you don't really see people in it. So you see the turtle, and you see well, you hear me cursing and talking in the background, but it's not like my face was there, and people all of a sudden, you know, were, like my turtle was super famous, but I wasn't uh, in any sense, and I don't think I I still am, but. Um, so for some reason, time all of a sudden was like, well, who who actually made that video? You know, because it's like three years after, and who is the person that actually filmed the video? So they did a little um, article on on you know, well, on me and on and the video and what I was thinking, and then about a month or two later, I get a phone call from the same journalist, and she was like, well, I have really good news, you're named the next generation leader, and I was like uh what are, are you sure like i mean are you sure you're having the right number like isn't like you didn't mean somebody else right he's like no 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 it's definitely you i was like oh wow okay uh, i think i was more speechless in the beginning because i really couldn't believe it i mean there have been people like you know trevor noah that i think wanted the year before me and uh greta thunberg for example what has wanted as well um, so it was just really prestigious and, and huge, uh, you know, to be, be named and, and honored in such a way. Um, yeah, I don't know. I still don't know how I feel about it. I mean, it, it comes sometimes those honors are incredible, but it, I always feel it comes with a lot of pressure and with a lot of expectations maybe as well. And I'm sometimes worried that, you know, the big shoes that a lot of people then put on your feet, maybe I'm not able to fill them if, if, if I'm explaining myself that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I'm just a normal person, you know, so I'm yeah. not somebody other different than you are. So uh, <laughs> hate to disappoint. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, great. Um, 
Sure. So, um, again, we were looking into, and I am kind of unsure, but I saw you were the director of, I believe, um, under the Footprint Foundation. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I was just wondering how did you kind of get involved with this foundation and kind of what motivated you to become the director under it? Well, I mean, so this is pretty much my day job. Uh, I'm the director of science and education for Footprint Foundation. And so through all of my plastic advocacy and outreach, I, you know, I'm, I am pro pretty frequently approached by NGOs, by companies, by, you know, people that do good work, but also people that just want to greenwash. And in 2000, I think it was even the same year, 2018, around or maybe beginning of 2019, I was approached by this lady from a company called Footprint and she was really persistent. So I usually don't, you know, if it's just kind of a person I don't know and, and if it feels very, I don't know, I, I usually don't answer, but she just kept on contacting me on all my social media channels and she just asked for like a little phone call. She wanted to tell me what Footprint is doing. And so eventually I gave in and I said, okay, you got your phone call. And so she told me about, you know, it's like, hey, we are a startup company. We're pretty much all, you know, ex-retired executives from the Silicon Valley. And um, we have a history of, you know, really kind of feeling we need to now pay back to society. And we founded this company, this material engineering company that is trying to really revolutionize the packaging market because i don't know if you know but a lot of the plastics that we have come mainly from food wrappers and packaging mm. um and they said well we're tired of greenwashing we're tired of big polluting companies having excuses such as you know it is not cost efficient to do something that is plastic free there are no solutions to the plastic thing so we want to pretty much provide those alternatives and i said well that sounds great but i was still pretty skeptical and so, um, yeah, they pretty much invited me over, showed me all the, you know, operations, the engineers that were working on it, all the lab, like the third party lab results on it. And eventually my, my very critical German mind uh, was, you know, oh, I guess they are really doing what they're doing. I mean, they're seeming to be, you know, trying to really do the right thing and, and, and are actually successful. And so I started to become an ambassador for that company. And, um, so, you know, in, in, in the background, I guess they were already discussing that this is just not enough what they were doing. And they really wanted to found a nonprofit that is attached to the company that will, you know, be mainly active in, in education and engagement to really have educated and informed consumers. So big polluting companies don't have as much chance to, you know, spread false information and false narratives about recycling and bioplastics and all the fancy things that they're trying to do in order to not really change anything. And so um, I was just done with my PhD. I was asked if like, hey, are you interested of leading the, the foundation? And I was like, uh, sure, of course. I mean, um, and the idea is pretty much, you know, that my platform that I have already as a person together with the tools and, and, and the things that they have that we hopefully can reach a lot more people than, you know, we either one would be able to reach by just themselves. And yeah, so I became the director of science and education for Footprint Foundation last year in, um, I think March or April when I started. 
And uh, of course, that's when the pandemic started. So a lot of the stuff that we were like hoping to do, we haven't been, but I mean, we adjusted to like the online and the virtual uh, world. And in, in fact, I think actually it is, you know, sometimes a lot easier to reach a lot more people because even like last year, World Oceans Day, I literally in one day, I did panels in Ecuador, in Suriname, in oh, Mexico, in Canada, in the US, you know, it was all in one day. So I would never, ever, ever be able to do that in person. And of course, mm -hmm. you know, since um, it's not just a prestige thing anymore to necessarily have internet. So it's not about, you know, being able to afford a travel to, I don't know, Washington DC to observe, um, for example, like Ocean's Day or something, but it, it just reached out to so, so many more people. And so I think it has an advantages actually, you know, sometimes to just do it virtually. And I kind of hope even if the pandemic eventually will end, uh, or like we will be able to just kind of, you know, live a little bit more normally again, that we still retain some of the good ideas about, you know, doing that. Even our conversation, I mean, we couldn't really do it without, you know, I couldn't be sitting in Costa Rica mm -hmm. chatting with you if we wouldn't have the opportunities of like Google Meet and Zoom and all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's kind of why we wanted to start this kind of, especially for in honors of Women's History Month, we wanted to find like powerful females and it was so useful how everything's virtual now that we can like contact and meet such powerful researchers like yourself. And it's been awesome. Cause it's like, we all, like you said, we would have never been able to done this if we were just in person, right? Yeah. Um, I am so true. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, so going off of that, um, going a little bit more back towards uh, like the school side of things. Um, so a lot of our audience is, is like younger generation students, um, you know, many people going to like their, their four year bachelors, some grad students, it's really up to, up to them. Um, so we just wanted to know, uh, like, what are your hopes for in terms of change coming in the future? Because, you know, we are the, the future generation, you know, we're going to be entering into the workforce, we're going to be you know, people, especially since we're in a lot of uh, biology-based people within our club and uh, within our school, um, you know, just what, what do you think are some good things that we could change as the future generation uh, and advice that you would give to the younger generation to kind of garner that change? Yeah, I think, first of all, I think it is super important to kind of not just talk the talk, but also to walk the walk, right? Mm -hmm. So if you studying sustainability, I think you should probably try also to integrate that into your everyday life and try to influence businesses, local businesses, global businesses with your club activities, whatever, with your, maybe your company you're founding later on. You always, you know, of course, there's always the most cost, cost efficient way, but there should always be an option where you think, okay, but maybe I'm willing to pay the extra money, but make it more sustainable and that you kind of come with that mindset. And I think also as the next generation, I really hope that you guys will start to think a little bit more outside the box than my generation or even the previous generation did. So I think there's so many more ways of going about doing stuff um, of just kind of, you know, I think biology doesn't just have to be this one or the other thing, but I think there's so many ways of how you can integrate your hobbies, your interests, um, into you know your passions because i think we're not all having just one passion in life 
and I think we need to approach a lot of the, 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 the issues from different angles. We need different voices, different faces. We need definitely more women and, and, and people of color, you know, in our midst that speak, that have a voice. And, and I, I just hope that the old white men are finally kind of stepping aside and letting us, you know, women and, and POC people as well, kind of, you know, um, yeah, approach. Uh, to the table and, and, and be part of it. And then I, I think you guys don't need to wait until you're old, until you feel okay. Power, but I think you can really start now. I mean, as an undergrad to make those changes, right? To influence, to, to be heard, to be part of the conversation. Um, and don't let the old generation tell you things that you cannot do. I mean, this is, I think, the most important part because I think a lot of people lose their passion along the way, lose kind of, I don't know, succumb to bitterness and and all kinds of negativity and they forget of like how, and I, I mean, maybe they have never been gifted this 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 passion that can drive you and, and can literally move mountains. And I, I just always try to tell everybody, don't lose your spark. If you feel like you're losing your spark, look for it, like leave, leave the situation, go where you will find it again, because you don't want to be a miserable person. You're not going to change the world being miserable. So just follow your passion and do your best, I guess. Yeah, definitely great. That's okay. very inspiring. Um, but yeah. Uh, Sorry, my dog is here and she wants to play. I don't know if you oh, it's okay. Oh, oh <laughs> her ball. so cute. Yeah, <laughs> she's having fun. Um, but yeah, where's the last last question? Sure. Okay. So kind of since you talked about like, I guess one, um, how we could like kind of make the change and everything, we are wondering if you have any, um, advice kind of like what kind of organizations, uh, these, our audience can go to or what kind of, um, I guess extra like curriculars that we can refer to in our own time to kind of just take that next step. Wow, I think that is a very, the list is long probably yeah. because it really depends yeah. on what you particularly are interested in. Mm. Um, because I mean, you can you cannot fight every, every war, right? You should definitely focus on like one thing you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. um, so let it be, I don't know, intersectionality in environmentalism, right? Um, let it be, I don't know, neocolonistic science. Um, let it be reducing your plastic footprint. I mean, there's so many different ways of how you could make a difference. You could become a political leader, right? You could start becoming a politician and, and maybe get elected um, beyond, of course, what you do in school, but actually on, on the international platform. So I, I really don't know if I want to make recommendations for just, yeah, you know, one thing I should just think, be creative, like just, think outside of the box and, and, and find, you know, and, and try out and find, and I think just judge, you know, by your, for yourself, if you see somebody and you feel, okay, this is a good thing. They, what they're doing is a good thing. I can kind of, you know, subscribe to that. That's great. Just be critical sometimes, you know, not everything that is kind of sold and glitters and it's gold that that's, um, uh, for sure. But I mean, you're all becoming active thinkers, critical thinkers. I mean, that's at least what the university is trying to teach you to be. 
So uh, use that and then try to figure out yourself of, of, of what you think is, is important. And don't doubt yourself. We women always doubt ourselves so much. Mm -hmm. If you feel this is right, it's probably right. So don't doubt it too much. You don't need outside confirmation for everything that you believe in. Yeah, uh, I agree. <laughs> hmm. um, yeah, so um, kind of going off that question, but a little bit different. Um, so we just wanted to ask, uh, since you're a researcher and since you work with uh, a lot of, you know, conservations and stuff like that, do you have any uh, like charities or initiatives um, that you've seen or, you know, really anywhere in the world that you think should be brought more to light or uh, anything that you think is a really inspiring uh, initiative or anything like that? Okay, I've, I'm highly biased towards that, I have to say, mm. um, just because I am part of a grassroots organization. Mm. And so the thing is, like the reality of our conservation is that the actual groundwork is done by grassroots efforts, grassroots organizations, but we are the ones that struggle the most with funding because there is, you know, large organizations such the WWF, uh, conservation international you know you name it it's there see shepherd they don't need to worry about funding i mean they literally have more than they need probably hmm. um but for us you know one year of funding means either we survive or we won't exist the next year anymore so there is an initiative that i'm also part in i'm not going to lie about it but it's pretty much it's it's a swedish um lady that has recognized this issue she actually comes from marketing so she was a fortune 500 uh, I think marketing executive and um, she went to Africa to photograph lines and she kind of really got involved in the conservation work there and she noticed in that that you know there is this grassroots efforts that are incredible because we are doing all the heavy lifting but we're literally seeing like maybe 20 percent of the money that is going around and she was for many years thinking about like okay how can we change that and she now started a platform which is called Milky Wire mm. Um, so like Milky Way, just the wire, like um, use wire, for example, and mm. um, where she is recruiting and looking for grassroots organizations. And she kind of combines this, um, you know, I don't know, you probably heard of Patreon, yeah. right? Uh, it's like mm -hmm. this crowd crowdfunding funding yeah. platform where you can like, you know, have artists or whatever content creators where you like give $3 a month and they can continue to cre create their content. So she's trying to combine that with a little bit of this social media influencer idea um, of, you know, where you have kind of charismatic people in the organizations maybe that are able kind of to stand symbolically for whatever they're doing in the field, uh, which she calls impactors, not influencers, but impactors. And so on this platform, there is a whole collection of incredible grassroots organization all over the world that are working, you know, to really do good stuff. And it is also catering towards pretty much your generation, like uh, millennials and Generation Z, um, that are not necessarily the richest people. You guys are still in education, but so it's you know it's not about giving us thousands of dollars, but it's about you know a lot of people giving like three dollars a month, for example, and supporting us with that. So it's more like think about it like, hey, Chris, I would like to invite you to a coffee, but instead I'm giving you $3 for your, you know, conservation work. And so her idea is really having a lot of people getting a little bit and that way having like continuous funding for all those grassroots efforts. And so I can highly recommend that just because it's not just contributing me or like one project, but it's actually contributing a whole array of incredible conservation work worldwide. So 
if you want to check it out, milkywire.com. Um, and there's all kinds of different, you know, you go Africa, elephant conservation, there's a snake guy in, 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 in Asia, uh, Costa Rica conservation with me, sea turtles, and so um, Suriname, a soft lady. So there's all kinds of really, really cool efforts. And um, the really neat thing is also is, you know, the, the idea is really to be directly informing our donors. So you have a lot of cool updates from the field. So you're always kind of with us sitting in the field and seeing all the crazy stuff that we're doing <laughs> and experiencing. Um, yeah, so I think it's a little bit more real than a lot of the kind of polished WWF brochures that you will receive in order to like save some tiger somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm also biased, like I said, so. Oh, yeah. But it does give it a lot more of, like, a personal feel. Like, I, I know with Patreon, a lot of people will have, like, you know, if you donate so much, you get, like, you know, exclusive interviews or, you know, photos and stuff like that. And I, I think it, I think it's a really good idea to just be able to kind of um, accrue all of that together and make, like, this kind of giga platform of everything uh, together, especially because it, it gives people, like, I know WWF, like, they'll give you, like, a stuffed animal and like some other stuff and stuff like that it, it is it is good because it gives you that affirmation um but it's cool to just be able to see like what your money is doing especially on the uh, smaller scale with a lot of the grassroots yeah you, know, you can see like you know ten thousand dollars if you throw a wwf it's doing a lot but if you throw it at like a grassroots campaign you can really see that impact not that money people are oh, i mean totally yeah totally because i mean if you think about it like I don't know, $500, $600 for WWF is literally nothing, right? It's yeah. just like, I don't know what they're going to do. And they probably lose it somewhere in the way. For us, it's it's more than a salary of like one person working on the beach, a monthly salary, right? Mm. So it's it's incredibly of, of, of the difference of, you know, what the same amount of money, what kind of value difference it has in, in, in different situations and in different projects. So, yeah, definitely a worthwhile initiative, I think. Mm, absolutely. Um, but yeah, Marissa, you have, uh, any um, I think you basically answered a lot of our <laughs> questions and gave us a lot of information and we're super grateful. Mm -hmm. You're actually like one of our first, um, people we're going to interview too. So this is like our first experience doing this and we're so thankful that you're like open and willing to do this, like take this time to talk to us, honestly. Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, I prefer this because if you would have sent me questions, I would probably have procrastinated of even opening it and looking at it because I'm so busy. Yeah. And so it kind of, you know, forces me to deal with it right now and right then, which is not, it doesn't mean I, I don't want to deal with it. It's just, you know, sometimes life happens and I'm busy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, we yeah. just, uh, we, we really appreciate it again. Um, thank you very much for the invite i feel very honored and i hope you guys have a cool array of strong women in the end hmm. and i hope you guys yeah i don't know feel inspired find your own way um i definitely wish you all the best yeah thank you thank the you honor is so ours uh, yeah. but uh <laughs> thank you we uh, you know we wish you luck with like all of your uh initiatives and stuff like that we we really look forward to to supporting you and uh and your research because you know we're, we're very interested in that that sort of side of things um but you know we, we just we're very excited to see you know where you go with it and stuff like that and the the future of how we can uh, uh we can really yeah. change the world uh just as, as a society we can especially mm. if we're all doing it together 
and also just like as a student interesting so i do accept international students right i think i've kind of touched on that topic but every year i have about three teams of of research assistants that are coming in i mean it is it is competitive i i hate to say it so yeah. for this year i've received received about 70 applications i think but it's not totally impossible hmm. so um definitely a chance though to kind of get your Feet wet in sea turtle conservation if you're interested of you know of doing that maybe one day oh yeah we we definitely have a lot of people who we've we've uh we've even taken into our club or uh people that we have like general members and stuff like that we've heard uh that are they're very interested in like getting involved um i think one of our executives is even going to zimbabwe is it um to work mm -hmm. uh over, over i believe it's mm -hmm. over the summer but uh yeah so we we're, we're definitely you know super uh i guess hyped up to, to promote that um, because it's a, it's a super amazing thing. And as you said, nothing beats, you know, hands-on experience, right? Like you can go through a master's, through everything. And yeah. then if you, if, if you step on the field and you can't do anything, then what's the point? Correct. Yeah, totally true. Mm -hmm. Totally true. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, I think that's that's all really the questions we have, but uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to, to interview us. I know we're, we're just kind of starting out our club, but we just we really appreciate this uh, this opportunity, and it's just just it's it's amazing to be able to to speak with with people in the field because it's honestly something that a lot of people take for granted and uh, you know don't really go out for. But it's 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 really amazing to be able to to have this sort of dialogue. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy to help. I told that also to um, the the lady that put us in contact. Mm. So yeah, you guys, good luck with everything, and thank you very much for the invitation. Yeah, thank you thank so much. Thank you. Yeah, uh, we hope you have a good day and everything like that. Bye. Bye. You too. Bye. Bye. Okay. Um, yeah. So that was the recording of our first interview with Christine Figner. Um, we're going to be looking into getting a lot more recordings out uh, in the future, so look forward to those. Um, we have a lot of people lined up, a lot of cool researchers, and um, if you have any sort of ideas as to things we can do, feel free to message us uh, on our Instagram privately to, you know, just get get yourself heard because we're very we open to ideas. Email? Yeah, emails emails are open. We're 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 looking forward to hearing from everyone, and we really want to know uh, what the community what the community thinks and what we can do better or it's just ideas that people have.